Welcome to Inside the Recording Studio. I'm Jody Whitesides, and with me is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm pretty good, Jody. <laughs> are, you, are you feeling low today? I'm feeling, feeling low today. <laughs> or that, that sounded more probably like angry. I don't know. That's just terrible intro. Um, <laughs> trying, to, trying to go off based on what the episode is about yet again like a goofball. Well, hey, that's what we've been known to do. <laughs> or at least me. I don't know about mm. you. <laughs> uh, at least I'm the goofball angle, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so hence why that low intro. What are we talking about? DI-based recording practices. All right. This is cool. not for synthesizers. This is for those guys that actually pick up bass guitars that have strings and they use their fingers or picks. So Yes. Yeah. So, and we're talking, obviously, electric... Uh, guitars or, or guitars, Gu- electric basses today. Well, I made it a minute in before I get tongue tied. That's that's a new record. Well, <laughs> good on you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't necessarily need to be electric though, because there are acoustic basses that you can record DI. So it's not technically but, electric, but nah. it, it's more geared towards it. But yeah, we're not talking stand up. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, we're not talking stand up bass. With, bass with although I'd be willing to bet that you could. DI a, a stand-up bass if you put a pickup in it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yes, let's just get over that <laughs> and get on with the game of playing let's spl- bass let's guitar. Split hairs. Yeah, yeah, we're splitting too many hairs already in the beginning. That's awful. Just awful. Yeah. Just, just awful. All right, two minutes in, and it's it, we're already off the rails. Here. <laughs> we gotta <laughs> gotta get it back on track. Here. All right, here we go. <laughs> Riding the train. So there we go. Uh, we're talking bass DI recording practices today. And the reason is that, uh, well, I, I think I'm the one that suggested doing this because I've been doing remixes of an album that was recorded back in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And it was done by somebody that didn't really know what the hell they were doing. Yeah. Per se. Yes. Uh, and it's led me to think sometimes – it's going to require some massaging and and maybe if you just kind of get some good information up front it might actually help things sound better on the back end so yeah now this i think diing bass is whatever situation you're finding yourself in the way you're recording it's always a good idea and uh, i'm sure just like with you i've had cases where I've had sessions and recordings where there's both a DI and an amped, or it could be a combination of amps or, or of, I'm sorry, of, of microphones on that set amp. Um, but the DI is, is in my case anyway, it's always getting used because it, so it, it's really, really useful to have that. And um, yeah, so DIing bass, two thumbs up from me. <laughs> well, do we need to go any further? Maybe we should just stop now. Uh, I think, yeah, you get the Hellstrom two thumbs up. That, that's, uh, let's call it right here. <laughs> is, is, maybe we should rename the podcast Whitesides and Hellstrom. And then you could do the thumbs up, thumb down thing like the, the Siskel and Ebert people. Um, there you go. Yeah. No. So the first thing about recording bass DI is that there's a couple of different ways that you can actually go about doing it. 
Sure. And the first thing is, is that you can literally come right out the base and go right into your console, whether it's a board like an SSL or a Neve or a Helios or uh, I don't know, what are other popular boards now these days? Um, good question. Anyway, uh, in addition APO. to that, um, another thing that happens is that uh, you can go from your pedals into the board. Uh, you can go straight from the base into a DI box and then into the board or your audio interface. Uh, all of these are kind of interchangeable from going to board to interface or whatever that you're doing. And Yeah, I was just going to uh, hold you, pump the brakes there a little bit because th there's quite a little bit to unpack there that, that you just brought up because there was a lot of information there in this short period of time. Well, I'm rattling um, things off just to kind of get my brain going. All right. Well, <laughs> there you go. Let me slow you down a little bit. There, oh, Sparky. Right. Um, but when you're saying going into the board, obviously we don't need a board or a full board to be able to do this. There's the, the, the idea here is to take, you know, a straight signal from the base in its simplest form. You're not necessarily always like that, but if you're going straight into your 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 interface, that's DI base, right? You don't it feel is. like you have to go through like if you need a small console, even if you have like a small Mackie or something, um, you don't have to do that, right? You not just necessarily. Go no, not necessarily. Unless there are things that you want to accomplish, obviously going going in. But um, anytime that we're just lining the base without anything there. And and the other thing I wanted to pause you on there is the use of pedals, right? So how, yes. in, in what way, because we've talked about this before where uh, we like to capture a DI, whether it's could be even from guitar recordings or, or an amp or anything. But um, if you have pedals that the bass player is using what kind of pedals would you always kind of keep in line or would you separate that so that you have you know one di going clean in or one with a with a pedal so let's say that they're using a uh, distortion pedal for example how would you treat that would you necessarily always track through that or and here it comes it's <laughs> content dependent <laughs> well yeah it's going to be content dependent but i keep thinking about a, a, a famous bass player who is unfortunately no longer among the living um and it was a direct conversation that happened between him and i <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> and the first the first uh thing that he would always say is that demos are for pussies so, <laughs> which I don't <laughs> okay. tend to, I don't tend to agree with that comment. However, I always found that pretty funny. Um, but he also was of the mindset that you record one one track of bass, and that track of bass includes whatever it is that you're putting on it. So everybody's mm -hmm. going to have their means and methods. And uh, while I can see his point. And I can understand his point. I didn't necessarily agree with his point. But yeah. then again, he played with some mighty powerful musicians that people tend to respect. And he was no slouch of a bass player himself. Um, so there is that. And yeah. for me personally, I would be of the mindset of almost treating it like I'd be reamping a guitar if I was going to be using pedals along with the bass. And uh, 
uh, not to beat a formerly beaten horse into not submission, but into like the winning slot of a horse race, I suppose, I would use the, <laughs> the, the radial XTC reamp box for that. Where you yeah. go into the ba- from the base into the radial, if we're talking about splitting the pedals in a DI box, and one of the outputs is going to the pedals, and the other output is going to uh, from so one of the out and I'm referring to the radial ecstasy box here. So you have the base going into the box; it's splitting the signal in two. One of the signals is going to his uh, pedals, and then to the recording setup, and then the second one, which is just the clean bass sound, is going from the ecstasy or the the reamp box right into the board as well. And then they both get recorded in the DAW or the tape machine or whatever you're using to yeah. do your recording. Um, that's how I would probably tend to do it. Now, I would also defer to the bass player in and of themselves if their session like wow, caliber, session maybe? caliber, uh, not green in, mm-hmm. in the machine, so to speak, and trust their judgment of how they like to get their sound. Yeah. So there is that because some musicians know better about how they get their sound than others. Yeah. And if you're being a little too heavy handed and telling, no, we must do it this way. Well, you may not get a performance that you're going to enjoy and you may not get a recording that sounds as good if they know what they're doing. So that's how I would treat that. There's, it's, it's kind of like that delicate balancing act where if that bass player is known for using pedals, then you that's their sound right that's so you, their sound you so you do want to capture yeah. that but it's also nice to get the unadulterated version of it as well which is the point of using something like the xtc box from radial so um yeah 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 no, and, that, it, and that's it, just it my thought process on, on using the pedals pers- so there's the sorry i'm talking at the famous bass here, player but- who shall currently remain nameless because of, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, using the concept of also getting not only the sound that they really enjoy, but also getting a clean, unadulterated bass sound as well. So there is that. There are issues of when you do split a signal and you're running through a bunch of pedals or even a few pedals and getting the direct signal in that, uh, that can cause phasing problems if you're using mm-hmm. both signals. So there you have to be aware and careful of things of that nature because bass phasing is more problematic and harder to deal with than most other phasing, I think. Yeah, well, yeah and it's certainly more noticeable as well, I think, uh, when you start hearing that. And the same, well, all sorts of relationships with audio there, so it, it's not good. Um, now, one thing that I would like to touch on and I would probably approach it very similarly like like you would Uh Um, but I I would think of the definition there or or the uh, how I might differentiate this would be what kind of pedals are they running Um, if they're running a whole bunch of sort of modulation type of stuff like coursing or anything going on, if they're using distortion. Now, I would think of it differently if they were just using a little bit of compression perhaps, yeah. um, how that just might just influence their touch on the instrument, how they play, how they work with dynamics and stuff. In that oh, case, I, I might not worry about it 
just having a DI because that, that's his sound coming in. But if right. there's also, yeah, no, I like to have, uh, I'm going to have a bunch of distortion Voice on this. So, yeah, this <laughs> and that. And it's like, okay, well, you know, that, that might sound great now, but come mixing stage might be too heavy handed. So that then I would very much consider sort of like a splitting of that kind of signal. Sure. And, and as we always tend to mention for things of that nature, it is content dependent and you do need to have some control sometimes. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then it's that, that balance that we always say to do that, you know, <laughs> record it right at the source, right? So it, it's, we don't want to necessarily have all of these decisions to make come mix time, but sometimes it's nice to just have that, that safety shoot. It's like, oh, you know what? That distorted bass that sounded great during tracking, it just disappears in the mix now. So it would have been nice to have a DI. So there we go. This yes. is one of those cases where we kind of have to straddle both fences of making decisions and having a backup at the same time. <laughs> so Exactly. Um, and with straddling, yeah. we'll take a moment now to say a word from our sponsor. And we're back. And the next thing that we're going to talk about with bass stuff is... What, Chris? Well, are we going to use any further processing once it's tracked? Are we going to use any, uh, well, first off, are we going to use any amp emulation software? Are yeah. we actually needing that or are we going to do that? So for that, yeah, great. For me, nine times out of 10, that's the way I do it. I record the DI bass and I'll have, the, we did an episode of that and I think there was a Tuesday tip the way I, I tend to approach that. And, sure. and then I tend to blend those. So are hint, we adding hint, that? go back into the YouTube archives for Tuesday tips and you will find that. Yeah, yeah. Or just search uh, it on the website and you'll find it too. That's probably be the fastest way to kind of do it. But yeah, so go to the website, lots of goodies, plug yes. to plug. But um, no, so, so are we using emulation and also things like, uh, are we, if we're just using the straight DI, are we needing to do any EQing on that on the, maybe either on the way in, if we're running through a board, maybe there's a rumble somewhere, maybe there's an issue that we have to deal with. Um, EQ, and then of course, all the other processes that we might have to do if we're adding compression to it at mixing stage and all that kind of stuff. But we're just talking about that. Now I'm going right to tell now. you to pump the brakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, it's easy to get excited. It's easy to right? get excited about bass, isn't it? All right. So let's take a step back and, and talk about the concept of now you've got your bass recorded. And let's, let's just say we're dealing strictly with the unadulterated DI bass sound. I'm with you. Because you're probably not likely to do what I'm about to speak of from a altered with pedals kind of sound. Mm -hmm. And what I'm referring to is what you had mentioned of like adding the emulation. Yep. Okay. So in adding the emulation, I'm going to – like I mentioned at the top of this podcast about a, a remix of an album that was done in the late 90s that was recorded with DI bass that was direct to board. Mm -hmm. And it was poorly done. So what I have discovered is that if I run that through an amp emulator for bass, it's actually tweaking the sound and making it more usable in the actual mix. And I know that from the previous mix, this is a big improvement. 
<laughs> because technically speaking, the direct sound isn't necessary. Well, that, it's bad to say that it's not awful, but um, what I mean by that is, is that there is so much information going on in the low end with the way it was done that it is overpowering and not effective. And it's just, it's way too much weight in the low end, which throws a mix completely out the window. And using amp emulation, and what I have found for this particular album of mixes and the way it was done with the bass at that time, is that the emulation of an old flip top amp head mm -hmm. going through an SVT 810 cabinet has yielded the best sounding result. And my thinking on this is that that's what they had originally intended and did not actually do. Because okay. <laughs> I seem to remember the bass player actually had an SVT 810. So that's what I was told. Anyway. Okay. Um. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. So adding emulation. Uh, now, obviously, that would be, let's say, um, or could be problematic if they're running a whole lot of pedals going into that. Going into the, yeah, that's why I'm saying. It's, yeah, from the DI. better yeah. off doing this with a clean DI signal of rather than going through all the pedals. Now, yep. that's not to say it can't be done because guitar players are notorious for running amp effects in two different places. And that is, um, you know, you can run some effects prior to hitting the amp head and some effects after the amp head. Yeah. So, yeah, so there are options there, but, but then again, you have to make uh, those creative calls, I guess, right? If it's because if you're running certain things, like you might have, let's say it's that aforementioned compressor, right, on, on the signal. Yeah, you could probably use that straight in, but if you're using also um, a reverb or a delay or something on, on that, that bass, those are probably best used. After, after or, yeah. or in a, in a send kind of a thing from, from the app generally um yeah. so yeah and that that's where i would say that some and you're going to agree with it i think in that you can use some of the effects if they're not certain types of effects as your front end to going into some emulation so, yeah and then there's other effects that will not go through the emulation nearly as um as well. As well. Perhaps. Yeah, a good way yeah. of saying it. So that would be another issue of like, you know, if I'm doing this, don't do this. If you're the recording yeah. engineer, do as much as you can to satiate the bass player's tendency of what they do and then get what you need to make the mix if you're also doing the mix or make the mix engineer happy by having something that they can also tweak with. Uh, that would be my best suggestion because I prefer having more than one option rather than the only option if it's not a clean DI base. Yeah. That's okay. Me. And sometimes, you know, the, the reality is that also just a clean DI base is simply the best option. Like, yeah, yes. That's, that, that's all we need. Great. I was watching something um, actually before we started recording here today um 
Uh-oh. It was that was the thing with uh, David Gilmore from Pink Floyd, and gotcha. he's talking about his studio and in the the later albums solos on the last couple of Pink Floyd albums. He said, "Yeah, we recorded it here, and the bass was just going straight into the board." Okay, so there you go. There's no no amps or anything going on there, and uh, whether you like Pink Floyd or not is kind of out of the question. But this kind of stuff does happen. Yes, so, it does, and and you'd yeah. be surprised how often things of this nature actually do happen. More, it's way more often than you would think. So mm-hmm. there's that mystery of like the band comes in, everybody sets up, and it's done, and it's like done with a microphone in a room. Well, which is one way of recording, um, and it used to be done that way many years ago, most of the time. However, that's not how a lot of the most famous albums in the world have ever been recorded. Um, and I will say that some of the best player bass players I've ever known and I've worked with, they will do anything and everything that is necessary to get whatever sound it is that's needed for the recording. You know, if yeah. you need to beat the bass with a drumstick to get the right vibe on the string when you hit it, that's what they're going to do, whether they're recording it through a mic or a DI and, and whatnot. So that all comes down to, is it right for how you're recording the song, the poor, the, the bass part for the song that you're doing? Yeah. And that, that just comes from experience and knowing what you're doing and having done it more than once or hopefully more than once. Because um, sometimes you do something and you have no experience and you try it out and, hey, bingo, it worked. So make notes of that, write it down and put it in your filing cabinet inside your head. <laughs> yeah. And then if it doesn't work, make notes and say, don't do that again. <laughs> yeah. Boy, that was a dumb idea. Let's never do that again. Yeah, and, and let's try something different and do it again. Don't be satisfied if you're not getting the right sound up front. Because, as we've said before, to make a mixer's job easier, get the best sound you can that works as close as to what you need up front. It makes it so much easier on the back end. Yeah. Well said on that. Um, but as I briefly mentioned, when you're talking about using two signals, you have to be very cognizant of what happens in phasing with the low end. Mm-hmm. So yep. uh, just be aware that you can supply that stuff, but if you're doing the mix or you're sending it off to a mixing engineer, if it's not lined up the way you're intending and it sounds kind of funky to you, you, you need to make note of that so you can fix that or not use one signal or the other kind of thing. So there is that. Now to kind of unleash the brakes and go beyond the emulation stuff when you're talking about dealing with EQ and other things of that nature. Um, One thing that I've also found in doing this remix that I'm working on lately uh, is that after running through the emulation and getting a tighter, more focused kind of bass sound that works better for the actual songs, I've had to use dynamic EQ mm-hmm. a fair amount of time so that sometimes the bass in and of itself, once it's run through the emulation, is sounding great. But every so often there's a note that comes along with either the way it was hit or the actual frequency that it's doing. And all of a sudden it's just like, <laughs> and it's too gigantic. Um, and rather than throwing a compressor on it, it was more ideal to throw 
a dynamic EQ on it. So when it comes over a certain point into the EQ spectrum, it actually just tapers that down. So it's acting sort of like an EQ or sort of like a compressor, but it's actually working on a very specific frequency for the bass. Yeah, and you can get similar results maybe using something like a, a multiband compressor or something where it just owns in on a certain frequency range when you're hitting that yep. low B that you're going down to or whatever <laughs> happens to be. So it doesn't completely fart out and take over your whole, uh, your whole tracks. Yeah. The so farting out. Yes. Farting out. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's something I would kind of pay attention to make note of that kind of stuff mm -hmm. so that you can uh, not have inconsistent bass levels from note to note based either on the frequency of how the bass is actually reacting to things or based on the bass playing being inconsistent. Yeah. So. But now we're getting into a little bit more of, of sort of like the mixing of this type of thing as well, right? I think yeah. so. But um, th the bottom line here that we're trying to get across uh, is – Basically, don't be afraid of just using a DI when you're recording bass. It's really, really effective. Uh, it's something that we both do frequently. Uh, and um, Still do it now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I, I think, I, I'm painting with broad strokes here, but I think bass players are generally more open-minded to, to that process as opposed to guitar players. Because there seems to be like the, the mindset there of like, no, I, I, yeah, if you just need the DI, that's cool. As opposed <laughs> to a guitar player, that, no, I need to run through my board and I need to have this because I read that that's how Mike Landau does it or whatever, right? <laughs> Insert your favorite guitar player here. So, um, but it is, it's, it's a simple process, but it's really, really effective. I think yes. just just using a DI base. So if you have that option, use it. Use, use it. it because yeah. it will make you happy in the mix end more often than you can shake a stick at. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything – Bass player is going to be really helpful. Man, I really knew how to play that part. That was really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all I have to con contend with is just playing the part. So is there anything more that you want to add about that DI bass recording process? No, I think we've kind of covered everything there. Um, and uh, I have yeah, one I little thing that I would add. What do you got? What's that? Well, it, it goes back to my concept of like, what is an appropriate volume level? when you're mm. actually recording. So regardless of the instrument, I like to make sure that things are not really peaking much above minus 18, maybe minus 15 dB max when you're hitting yeah. your hardest notes, uh, when you're getting those pick sounds and all of that kind of situation. Because if you're going to run emulation on it, or do anything else to it, that's like your ideal gain stage right there is that minus 18-ish range. Yeah, I I am less stringent with that, but what I would say, I would the idea for me anyways, don't go too hot. Whatever you do, you don't go hot. I mean, I I will frequently go maybe as high as like minus 12. I'm less concerned with uh, the air quote gain staging here because mm. it, it's it, that's another episode that we, we could probably break down in the future as well. It is, but this is we're talking DI based recording right. practice, and so, you do so, need to have a volume level in mind when you do that. Yeah, so 
Error on the side of lower as opposed to too hot. Yes. Let's, let's put it that way. Yeah. You can always turn up the headphones. <laughs> yeah. You can always turn up everything. Yeah, exactly. Turn but, up everything uh, else, but do not record too hot, especially when it comes to bass. Because that is another actual issue that is in this thing that I'm currently working on for remixes is that it was also recorded way too loud. Yeah. <laughs> and that creates other issues. But so. was that that um, that session was that recorded to tape or was that recorded? It was recorded digitally to ADAT, and oh, it was okay. recorded uh, with a Mackie board. And I, I hate to call out Mackie saying that it's awful because it's not Mackie's fault; it's the, the engineer's fault for doing something not good, so to yeah. speak. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know right. Mackie made some pretty good stuff back then, as far as I know. So. Yeah, how you use it is it people could have yeah. the best gear in the world and it would still suck if they don't know what they're doing and then you could have the absolute worst gear in the world it's it, going back on your uh, Pink Floyd reference I know that David Gilmore has been asked how he sounds like he does he goes yeah, I could walk into any guitar store pick mm -hmm. up any old amp and fiddle with it for a bit and still end up sounding like me yeah and that and that kind of goes to the the, I guess the the professional nature of his ability to do what he does, and I would say the same of any uh, instrument, you know, any per any musician, any player that really knows what they're doing about their particular instrument is going to have the same, hopefully, the same attitude about it. Um, so, but yeah, I just I just wanted to kind of point that out is that sometimes if you record bass too hot, you're going to lose certain aspects to the sound and make it more difficult for the mixing engineer. Yeah, which is not necessarily a good thing. Correct. Yeah. So I think that that kind of wraps up what I wanted to talk about there. And I think for you as well. So um, maybe we shall move on, shall we? Friday Fines. Yes. All right, Chris, yeah. kick it off. What do we got I, for Friday Fines? I'm going to be kind of boring here again. And oh, I'm, I'm in the same corner. Well, because last week <laughs> I... I chose the uh, Slate FT2A, the LA2A emulation, right, right, and, right, I, yep. and I have another Slate thing uh, oh. this week. And th Jeez. But this is a freebie, so if even if you're not a Slate subscriber, go oh. grab this because it's called Fresh Air. Okay. And, and it, how do I describe what this is? But it's almost like you know how you'd like to talk about the Mog EQ, the, yeah, the airband, the airband, right? Of course. This one has it adds air, but it does the same thing in the mids as well. Oh, yeah. I, I I'm assuming that it's doing something to the harmonic content, right? However, it works. I don't care because it sounds awesome, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I. So is this I've like got Tabasco to use hot sauce? You're just going to throw that shit on everything? Yeah. And, you know, just as with hot sauce, it's very easy to overdo it. So use it, use it with caution. But I got to use this on a mix this week where I had some trouble getting things to sit just the way I wanted it to. And uh, I put this on the master bus, as it were, tweaked it a little bit. And it felt like a blanket was just removed from from the mix. It was like it just opened it up, and it was it was really really cool. So, um, like I said, it is a freebie. You do need an eye lock, I believe, but um, 
who doesn't have one of those these days. So um, check it out. Go check it out. Fresh Air from Slate Digital. It was absolutely fantastic. And uh, just don't overdo it. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, was, it saved that mix for me for sure. Absolutely. So what about you, Jody? What you got? I got yet another collaboration thing going on for musicians because everybody going into, uh, in certain parts of the country anyway, into additional lockdowns thanks to the pandemic. Um, the last couple of weeks I've been talking about what, Jack Trip, and then uh, we got the Session Wire stuff. And mm -hmm. uh, this morning I'm reading up about Facebook. Now, I'm not the biggest proponent of doing a lot of things through Facebook, but they've got a new collaborator app that they're doing for musicians. And I think cool. it's straight up called Facebook Collaborate or Collab or something of that nature, or maybe it's Collaborate, um, that is designed specifically for musicians to be able to, and I'm, I'm assuming, not necessarily jam in real time, but to at least collaborate uh, through the Facebook app. And while I've not seen the inner workings of it, and I'm not sure that it's exactly out as of the publishing of this podcast, it is in the pipeline and coming extremely soon is my understanding. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. Does, uh, does Zuckerberg own the rights to that song then? That well, that's a good question, right? <laughs> so how does that work in terms of Facebook and, and that kind of thing? Because if you're collaborating over their app, do they suddenly get like songwriting credit or publishing <laughs> rights? That, that would be something to read in the fine print, which is why yeah. I say you want to make sure that you read, uh, or do things before you start getting in bed with Facebook in that regard. Um, so that would be my pick of the week, I think, for a lot of musicians that aren't necessarily going for the high-end pro stuff and they just want to jam out or, or collaborate with other fellow musician friends. There may be an easy way, a very easy way coming for people that actually use Facebook in, in more ways than one. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So there's that. And then I, I thought I think I'm going to drop just a little bit of like a, a bummer bit of news about a previous Friday find that you had uh -huh. that also came across in the news this morning. And that is the Apple Music Memos app that you had so highly touted. Yes. Uh, is is unfortunately going for the deathbed of the EOL. Uh, Apple is going to unfortunately pull the plug on this. And they're telling people that did use it. You better shift those recordings over to the Voice Memos app. At least that's the news that I'm reading. So I'm I'm under the impression that it's going the way of Ping, um, <laughs> which was yeah, for both of us to remember that. <laughs> for, yeah, for the for the ten people that remember what Ping was, it was the iTunes artist uh, thing, social the, media, social thing media and... thing inside the iTunes app for actual uh, people that were on iTunes. Um, which is, I think it was Apple's way of trying to be like Spotify at the time. I don't know. I can't remember. But uh, it was a misfire. That's it was sure. definitely yeah. something that did not take off, and they axed it after like a year or two. Um, and it sounds like that's exactly what's happening with the Music Memos app. It probably didn't do what they had hopefully intended, and they're now pulling the plug. So that's unfortunate. And that's going to essentially wrap up today's episode. So while we still have your attention, our avid listener, we would like to implore you to go to the website, leave us a review, especially if you're using the uh, Apple Podcasts app, because uh, that helps us out. 
out there. Uh, that's inside the recording studio forward slash review. Additionally, you can just go to insidetherecordingstudio.com. You can sign up for our email list. You'll get weekly reminders about the tips and the podcast episodes that just happened in the past week. Uh, I do know this actually works because it's now sending me emails so I can keep up on top of what Chris and I talk about. It's kind of <laughs> exciting in that regard. <laughs> uh, we'll also make sure that you get a lovely little bonus package for signing up on the email list of some plug-in presets from Jody and Chris or Chris and Jody. Uh, that way, you get all the notifications and you can stay up on all the latest that we're talking about here at the Inside the Recording Studio podcast land. In addition to that, if you send us an email at goldstar, or not at goldstar, but goldstar at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word bass in it, you might get a lovely little something in return. So, in addition to that, if you have a suggestion for a podcast topic, an episode that you'd like Chris and I to pontificate upon, make sure that you drop us a note and we will put it into rotation as soon as we can. Aside from that, it is time for us to say sayonara. See you later.